We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to do what I promised you to do yesterday and ran short on time. I'm going to talk about George Barna's research, as reported in Newsweek, that tells us that 30% of millennials now identify as trans. And here's the kicker, that 40%, 40% of Gen Zers do likewise. How should we receive this news? Is it real or is it fake? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. Thank you so much to all of you who, in your loyalty, listen to this show on a routine basis. Thank you for those of you who listen to it via your radio at KOKL. You probably do so live at 7.30 in the morning every Monday through Friday. Thanks to Brooks Brewer owner of KOKL Radio, who invited me to join his team and provided the platform for this daily program. Very grateful for that. It's been a good ride. And thanks to the sponsors, uh, Tat Manning, Patriot Auto Group, and likewise Mark Tedford of Tedford Insurance. Thank you for sponsoring this program, uh, this daily program on KOKL Radio. Now, if you're listening to this via podcast, I'm likewise very grateful to you. And you've helped grow the rebellion across the nation because we have listeners from coast to coast. I have listeners in New York. I have listeners in California. We have them in Texas, obviously Oklahoma, Colorado, Kansas, Arkansas. We haven't, we even, excuse me, we even have listeners overseas. And this is happening because you, you are copying and pasting links to your favorite episodes of the rebellion. And you're putting it out there in your social media. Facebook, Parler, MeWe, whatnot. And thank you for doing so, and I encourage you to continue. Please remember to do that. That's the best way we can grow the rebellion, is for you to push it out there in your social circles via your social media. And guess what? With Elon Musk now owning Twitter, we can really explode this thing, okay? So I'm challenging everyone right now to copy and paste some of the links to your favorite episodes, whether it be this one or previous episodes of The Rebellion, out on Twitter. Get all of your followers to do likewise, and we can double and triple the numbers in The Rebellion. Because now, Twitter is what it was originally designed to be. It is a platform for the free and open expression of ideas. Can you believe we actually live in a day where the left has come unglued simply because a guy who isn't, you know, arguably all that conservative, at least he's not conservative socially. Elon Musk is not going to agree with me on a number of things with regard to what I say here on The Rebellion. But here's what he does agree with. As was the case when I was a guest on Dave Rubin's show, even though we disagree on a lot, we agree on one key thing, and that is freedom. Freedom of expression, freedom of religion, freedom to engage in a good argument and a good debate. And I believe that's because, intuitively, 
people like Elon Musk and Dave Rubin and Adam Carolla and Bill Maher and a host of other individuals that would agree with some of the things I'm saying right now, but disagree with a lot of my moral conclusions, I believe that that's why we're in the same camp when it comes to fighting for the right to say what we want to say in social media and on the news and in our schools and in the public square. This is one of the key cornerstones to our constitutional republic. Remember the days when it was said, I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it? Well, those days are long gone for the left. They're actually excoriating Elon Musk right now simply because he wants Twitter to be an open forum. They're excoriating him. In fact, I saw a series of tweets. It was at least at least 20 or more long, and I think it probably grew into the hundreds, if not thousands. All these tweets from various different people, dozens of different people, all they said was, kill Elon Musk. Over and over again, it was tweeted, kill Elon Musk, kill Elon Musk. They're actually tweeting this. They're actually putting that out there in social media. Why? Because Elon Musk be- believes in freedom of expression. He believes in the freedom to say what you want to say. He believes in the freedom of the press. Again, I thought this was a cornerstone of our republic, but I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure in the mind of the left. So again, I stand and I give Elon Musk uh, a round of applause, give him a standing ovation for defending your right and my right to say what we want to say. And why is that a good thing? It's because conservatives have confidence that if the truth is, is allowed, in the open forum, if you can bring the truth into the market square of ideas, we have confidence that it will win. We believe that in a good debate, a good argument, a good exchange of ideas, that truth will crush lies. Therefore, bring it on. If you want to post lies about me, bring it on. Post your lies, but I'll post the truth. If you want to post lies about uh, about Hitler and the Nazi regime and the Holocaust, then go ahead, post your lies, be a Holocaust denier if you want, elevate the Third Reich if you want, but we'll post the truth, and the truth will crush your lies. If you want to post lies about the LGBTQ narrative and how you're abusing children by enabling them to, them to live in a la-la land, crazy land, of denying the body, then I'll just respond by asking you good rhetorical questions like, how can you be a feminist if the female is not a fact? And how can you claim to be for women's rights when you're pretending that women aren't real? How is this body-denying nonsense working for you? Again, the reason that we can expose the lies because we have the freedom to ask questions that are grounded in the truth. And Elon Musk, by virtue of his purchase of Twitter, is giving us a platform to do that again. He's he's laughing at the fact checkers, and he's saying, you guys are crazy. First of all, you shouldn't be controlling what other people say or don't say. You should have confidence that the truth will crush lies. So go out and post the truth against these lies. But your fact checking is not grounded in the truth. Your fact checking is grounded in a political agenda, and everybody knows it right now, and therefore you've lost credibility because you, as a fact checker, need to be checked because your facts are not factual. 
That's what Elon Musk is suggesting right now, that this thought control by virtue of thought police, whether they be at Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, or now in the federal government, we actually have a division. I mean, literally, within hours after Elon Musk purchases Twitter, Joe Biden's administration establishes an office of of thought control. I have to go look it up and see what they're really calling it, but you've read the news. We now have a government office of thought control. You know, George Orwell wrote about this in 1984. We've, We've heard about it in other dystopian novels, and, and, and we, we also know that it's been a fact of history that despotic regimes, totalitarian regimes such as Hitler's and the Third Reich had the same type of offices within their particular governments. Does this not make you nervous that the United States is now doing it unapologetically and unabashedly? In response to Twitter being an open platform, uh, this... A few years ago, you couldn't have made this up. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and then the second half of the show, I'm going to talk about this data that comes from George Barna. Now, what's the the tie-in between the first half of the show and this? Well, truth matters. An open exchange of ideas matters. Looking at the real data matters. And George Barna is providing us that data so that we can have a discussion. Some of us may be incredulous and say, oh, no, that's that's nuts. There's no way. There is absolutely no way that 30% of millennials now identify as trans and 40%? Are you serious? Are you really telling me 40% of Gen Zers now identify as trans? That can't be true. Well, let's look at what they're saying when they're asked questions. Let's define our terms. Let's look at the data. And let's engage in that debate, that conversation. Let's, let's engage with one another and see what the facts really are. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, like I said, for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about this survey that's reported in a Newsweek article, but the survey itself was conducted by the conservative pollster George Barna who actually does his work out of Arizona Christian University now. They actually established a research center for this nationally known pollster, George Barna, which is a good thing. We should applaud Arizona Christian University for doing that. Now, this article that I'm going to to get this information from for this show is actually not brand new. It's a little over 12 months old. So you may say, well, I've heard about this before, but... I think a lot of us just skipped past it. I had heard about it. I don't know that I did a whole show on it. And I do know that when I posted something recently with regard to uh, 30% of millennials believing that they're trans or identifying as trans, when I posted that, I had a good good loyal followers say there is no way that 30% of millennials, I do not believe that garbage. I don't believe that nonsense. And I appreciate his skeptical mind, not criticizing him for that at all. But here's what the article says. The headline is nearly 40% of U.S. Gen Zs and 30% of young Christians, okay, they include that, identify as LGBTQ. Poll shows Nearly 40% of U.S. Gen Zers, 30% of young Christians identify as LGBTQ. 
Okay, and then it goes on to say that likewise, about 30% of millennials identify as LGBTQ and trans. Okay, so again, this is an article written for Newsweek. Now, already they're starting to meld together some of their terms. They talk about trans, and now they talk about LGBTQ. They talk about 30% of Christians, and now they're talking about 30% of millennials. So they're they're, they're writing it in such a way that we're already confused a little bit with the terms and the definitions of the groups. So let's just take them at what they're saying, and then we'll get into Barna's data. Here's what the article starts. Uh, this is the first par- paragraph of the article. 30% of millennials identify as LGBTQ according to a soon-to-be-released study that is based on scientific polling data. Among Christians, the numbers were lower, but only slightly with just under 30% of millennial Christians identifying as LGBTQ, full stop. Now, what that tells you, if we take this reporter at his word, and frankly, he is grounding it in George Barna's data, as you'll see when I go further into this story. He's saying that the conservative Christian group, conservative, loosely defined, the conservative Christian group, those millennials that say they're Christian, basically score the same as those that don't. In other words, 30% of millennials identify as LGBTQ, and 30% of Christians, slightly less, but not much, not not statistically significant. Uh, About 30% of Christians identify the same way. That's a problem. Christians should have different ideas than the rest of culture. Christians should have stable, enduring, immunable, unchangeable, orthodox ideas because we're grounded in the 2,000-year-old teachings of the Bible and the church. We ground our, the definition of our worldview in the Bible, not in political agendas that are fluid and in flux on a daily basis. We have a true north. We have an anchor point. So Christians shouldn't be scoring the same when it comes to this stuff. So that tells you what? That tells you there's a problem in the church, that the church isn't catechizing its youth properly. We're not teaching the next generation what the truths of our faith are. Because if they're buying this nonsense of LGBTQ, they haven't, let, they haven't read the letters of St. Paul. They haven't read the epistles of James and John and Jude. They haven't read Peter's writings to the early church. They haven't read the words of Jesus himself. Because all of these writers, all of these writers that are included, excuse me, I need to make one thing clear. Jesus was not a writer. People wrote about him. We have no letters that are directly ascribed to Jesus himself. So don't get on my case because I just (laughs) said all of these writers. Jesus being the exception because Peter was writing about Jesus. Paul was writing about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing about Jesus. I get that. But all of these teachers, whether they be Peter, Paul, James, John, Jude, all of them were writing about the teachings of Christ and set the context for the orthodoxy of our faith. All right, so if Christians are buying this LGBTQIA lie, at roughly the same percentage as culture at large, we've got a problem, and the problem goes back to the pulpit and what the, what the church is teaching. 
All right, back to the survey. The portion of the population that describes itself as gay has varied over the years, from 10% based on the research of Alfred Kinsey. It's a full stop. Alfred Kinsey's research was garbage, and everybody knows that. I have degrees in this stuff. Alfred Kinsey, the Kinsey Report on Sexuality in America, which estimated that 10% of the population was gay, was based on flawed research because much of his sampling group came from prisons. Prisons. Now, do you think that maybe those identifying as gay in the prison is going to be skewed artificially? You think maybe, Alfred Kinsey, you should have disclosed that to people so that we knew that your 10% was actually a garbage number because you were deriving your data from interviews with prisoners? Uh, and, and yet... And yet we continue to throw that garbage around. So the writer of this article in Newsweek is showing his cards. By the way, this is a very pro-LGBTQ article in Newsweek. But they're using the data of George Barnard to try to make their point. But right off the bat, right off the bat, he shows us that he's not interested in disclosing the facts about research because he's citing Kinsey. Now, either he doesn't know or he's lying. I don't know which it is. All right. Back to that paragraph. The portion of the population that describes itself as gay has varied over the years from 10% based on the research by Alfred Kinsey and widely promoted by the National Gay Task Force in 1977. Yeah, it was promoted by the National Gay Task Force because the 10% helped them. If 10% of the people around you were gay, then all of a sudden everybody thought, oh my land, one out of 10 people that I'm sitting with in this room right now is gay. Well, that wasn't true. Kinsey... Kinsey's data was was garbage because of his research sample coming out of prisons. All right. Uh, Then the Gallup poll came along later and said that, no, it wasn't 10%, it was 6%. Uh, The pollster who worked on the new study, the new study that he's talking about right now, is George Barna, and he attributes the unusually high numbers he found to social and news media coverage that makes it, quote, safe and cool for young Americans to identify as LGBTQ, whether or not it represents their actual sexual orientation. Now, that's an interesting admission by the writer. What he's saying is that when George Barna finds out that 30 to 40 percent of Gen Zers and millennials identify as LGBTQ, is that it doesn't necessarily represent their actual orientation, but that it is safe and cool for young Americans to claim that identity. Here's, uh, here's a quote from the article. It's a subset of a larger issue that this is a generation where three out of four are searching for meaning. This is a group that doesn't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, says Barna. Therefore, again, this is from Barna, the LGBTQ identity gives them comfort A lot of this generation claim to be moving in that direction, but there's a big difference between claiming the identity and living the lifestyle itself, close quote. So Barna isn't saying, he's looking at this data, the responses that he's getting from millennials and Gen Zers, and he's a little suspicious. Uh, He's saying that just because 30 to 40% check the box of identifying as LGBTQ doesn't mean that they're actually living the lifestyle but that they think it's cool and safe to identify with this population. So is their identifying with LGBTQ, with uh, homosexuality, with 
uh, with trans, with queer, with bi, with lesbian, gay, uh, the alphabet soup of the rainbow cabal is the fact that 40% of Gen Zers identify with that. Does that mean that they're showing empathy for that or that they're actually living the lifestyle? Interesting question, right? But nonetheless, here's my point. It is a fact that when asked, do you identify with LGBTQ? Do you identify with lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer ideology? Do you identify with the rainbow agenda that 40% of Gen Zers say yes, that's a fact? The poll looked at so-called millennials, defined as someone born from 1984 to 2002, which is about 78 million individuals representing a quarter of the U.S. population. This is what should scare you. We have 25% of the U.S. population right now represented in the millennial group, and that's the group of Americans that were born between 1984 and 2002. And again, among these millennials, 30% identify as LGBTQ, and that's more than three times that of the rest of the adult population. Okay, that is important for us to acknowledge. You've got millennials identifying with the LGBTQ agenda, either saying that's who they are, or at the very minimum, they identify, they empathize. They are part of the group, part of the movement, part of waving the rainbow flag at parades and whatnot. You've got 30% of millennials, which represents 25% of the U.S. population. And guess who's going to be voting in the next 10, 20, 30 years? It's going to be millennials. They will carry the day. And they are identifying with this lie. And I say that intentionally. They have a worldview, and they're telling you. They're telling you they have a worldview that embraces a lie. It's modern-day Gnosticism, that their special knowledge of human identity rises above the scientific, biological, genetic, physiological facts of our daily existence. That they can deny all of that, and they can, they can claim to be something that they're not. Or if they don't claim to be something they're not, they're going to celebrate the fact that their neighbors do. This is a dangerous place for us to be for a variety of reasons, and I've covered most of them in previous shows. If you don't get the definition of human life right, then you will you will enable despots and tyrants, oppressors, to abuse human beings. This is true. We saw it in the British slave trade. I've covered before that one of the key strategies of Will, William Wilberforce to fight the British slave trade was to, to, was to highlight the fact that black people are human, that they are men. He had a coin minted. He passed it out in the, by the hundreds of thousands across London and the rest of Great Britain, but primarily in London because that's where the power base was and that's where all of the politicians lived. He made sure that they saw this coin, and on the coin it had a black man in chains, and all it said was, am I not a man? What was Wilberforce's point? He was emphasizing, he was highlighting over and over again, repetition, repetition, repetition. A black man is a human being. Am I not a man? And he, he did that because he recognized that the British government and the British people had dumbed down the definition of humanity, at least for black people, to be nothing more 
than an animal. They weren't the Imago Dei. They weren't made in the image of God. The British people weren't treating Africans, black people, as if they were made in the image of God. They were treating black people as chattel, as if they were animals, and therefore they were buying and selling them for labor. They were using other people to prop up their own selfish lifestyles. This is not that much different than what we're doing right now. The LGBTQ argument dumbs down the definition of other human beings to nothing but the Imago dog. We don't treat people like they're the Imago Dei, the image of God. We're treating others as if they are nothing but animals. They're defined by their inclinations, their guts, their passions, their hungers, their proclivities. And therefore, we treat them that way, and we're going to identify with them, not as if they're fully human, but as if they're something else. And, but yet, the millennials don't even understand that this is the lie they've bought. This is the Kool-Aid they've been drinking. And George Barna points that out. Now, this is the exact same point I was going to make in a book that uh, I was going to write for Regnery, which is owned by Salem, the publishers of Not a Daycare, my first book national bestseller, and the publishers of the sequel, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I actually had a book proposal with Regnery that was accepted, and the book title in that proposal was Imago Dei, Imago Dog. And my point was to argue what I've been arguing on this show repeatedly today and in many episodes prior to this one, where we are made in the image of God, Imago Dei, and that the left, the progressive establishment, LGBTQ, rainbow cabal, progressive leftists are dumbing down the definition of what it means to be human to nothing but the animal, the base, as if we're made in the image of the dog. And that book was actually never published. You've never read that book by me, have you? And the reason is the conservative publisher, Ragnary, decided that it was too controversial. They didn't like the title. They said, well, you're calling people dogs. I said, no, I'm not calling people dogs. I'm saying that we're made in the image of God. I'm the one elevating the definition of the human being. I'm arguing that our culture is dumbing down what it means to be human to nothing but the image of an animal, a mago dog. So how can you miss that point? You accepted the proposal. My point in closing the show with that story is this. George Barn is right. People have bought the lie. They're now identifying with LGBTQIA. They're identifying as trans. The next generation is as high as 30 to 40% identifying with this argument. They've imbibed the Kool-Aid to the point where I've got a conservative book publisher saying we're uncomfortable with you suggesting that somehow those that embrace the rainbow agenda are dumbing down the definition of the human being to the animal, the base. We're uncomfortable with that idea. We're not going to publish that book. This is, a, this is where we are in the, in, in, in the battle for ideas, in the market square of ideas. I spent some time thanking Elon Musk for opening up the door for us to say this stuff again. And isn't it ironic that you have somebody like Elon Musk saying, go at it, make your argument. It's a free-for-all. If you're right, you win. Let the truth be, prevail. But yet, you've got conservatives in the church saying, we're uncomfortable. Something to think about, right? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.